Hello, everyone. I'm Alan Potsider, and you're listening to Call Talks for December 7, 2017. Today's topic is how to lead contact center professionals through change. If you're listening live, we invite you to be part of the show and ask questions. Here's how you do it. Email me at alan at benchmarkportal.com. I, would, I want to remind everyone that all of our shows are archived and available to listen to at benchmarkportal.com at any time of the day. And now I would like to introduce the host of Call Talks, Bruce Belfiore. Well, thank you, Alan, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Change is the only constant. Well, we hear that all the time, don't we? But knowing it's true doesn't make it easy to deal with. And there's all sorts of reasons for changes, all sorts of results that can come out of change. Some of them good, some of them not so good. And all of them should be considered and pondered and planned as much as possible. And that's why we wanted to talk more about this topic and have brought in an expert for you, Steve Ellis, a nationally recognized call and change management leader. So welcome to the show, Steve. Bruce, it's great to chat with you and your team again. Okay. Well, we're, we're very happy to have you on again. And uh, Steve Ellis is a nationally recognized customer service leader with demonstrated success running call centers at Fortune 500 companies in a variety of industries, including telecom, cable TV, utility, healthcare, retail, and e-commerce sectors. His operations have included B2B, B2C, service, sales, and collections. He has been leading large teams with complex work functions, even those operating in highly regulated environments. And he's delivered great results in sales growth, cost efficiencies, and customer experience. We've known him as an exceptional coach and developer of people with expert financial acumen, which are attributes that have served him well in challenging turnaround projects. So Steve has pretty much seen and done it all, and I was with him a few years ago when he was honored as one of Call Center Week's top contact center leaders of the year. Truly a great recognition and well-deserved given his career accomplishments. Okay, Steve, well, let's take all of that fabulous experience that you have and dig in today's, into today's topic, which is change. So, what are some of the key drivers for change that you've seen over your years in the industry? Sure, Bruce. There are, there are a number of key drivers. I think the biggest uh, three drivers that I've seen are mergers and acquisitions, systems investments, and business integration. Those, those um, encompass the biggest set of uh, changes that our, that our folks are, have to deal with. But on top of those, there, are, there could be changes in the regulatory environment. You know, think about the Affordable Care Act when that passed. That was a significant change to the healthcare industry, for, as an example. Uh, huge, there could be changes huge. in, yeah, that's a, it's a big change. Uh, there, there could be changes in the leadership of an organization that uh, will, will cause a change in, 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 direct, in direction of the business. There could be a change in, the, in a company's business model. They might, you know, be exploring new markets or maybe new products or services. Uh, there can be changes in the competitive landscape. You know, a lot of people are competing online and competing with uh, Amazon, for example. And uh, that would be a, a, another example of uh, a driver for change. And there are many others, but those are the key drivers for changes. And I'm sure 
the call center leaders would know more about those kinds of things uh, that yeah. drive change in their business. That's that's a really good list of uh, you know drivers for change. And you know, as I was as you were going through them, and I was thinking, uh, you know, there are some situations in which you're able to position these things as very positive for your people. There are other situations, in fact, the majority, where it's scary for your people, isn't it? And uh, I think of that the Valley of Tears phenomenon. So you may have a situation in which there's sort of the uh, uh, the picture perfect merger. And uh, everybody goes into it saying, hey, this is great. We're going to be a stronger company, and it's going to be wonderful. And um, nobody's job is going to be threatened because we're complementary. We're not <laughs> overlapping. And even in those situations, sure. there's kind of a the Valley of Tears phenomenon where you start off with a, uh, a lot of uh, you know, excitement, and then all of a sudden things aren't working out the way that you expected. This also happens, by the way, with the – uh, systems investments that you were talking about, right? Everybody says, Absolutely. hey, this is going to be great. We saw the demo. The uh, vendor showed us how it was going to work. And then all of a sudden the problems come in, uh, the adaptability issues come up, and uh, the morale starts falling and going down into that so-called valley of tears uh, on, the, on the graphic. And then, you know, things sort of work themselves through and they can start pulling up the other end. What I've, I've seen too, and perhaps you have as well, is if you can kind of prepare people for that, it helps out, huh? In other words, if you, you in some cases, you may even want to show them the Valley of Tears graphic and say, hey, you know what? We're going to go through some of this. We're going to try to avoid the bottom as much as possible, but it's going to be an active process that we all have to be working on. What do you think of that, Steve? Uh, Bruce, that's an excellent insight about the whole change management process. And the more transparency you can have with your people, the better. Uh, I actually show folks uh, the change commitment curve. And mm. there, you've got to work people through this change. And there's going to be uh, you know, resistance and people aren't going to understand. And they're going to really try to, try to sort these things out. We actually modified our change commitment curve to put in this valley of despair uh, that you talked about a little bit to, to really highlight for people that, you know, change is not going to be easy. And even if you are excited about a new system that's coming in, you've got to figure out how you're going to live. Uh, maybe, maybe you're going to have a phased implementation and maybe you're going to have to live in two worlds, for example. So, so I think being transparent with your, with your people and letting them know that change is going to be hard, but we're going to get through it together. Uh, I, mm-hmm. That is a, uh, an important way to lead people through change successfully. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think the the together part is so important because in these situations, as in many things in life, there's always somebody else to blame if that's the way you want to go, right? <laughs> so oh, that's there's absolutely correct. There, yeah. There's the big bad merger partner or there's the vendor in the systems investments, there's the business integration, well there's this department that doesn't understand anything. Uh, regulatory changes where, you know, somebody in the government is uh, imposing something from on high. Uh, leadership changes in which the familiar person that you're, you know, used to getting messages from is all of a sudden substituted by somebody else. There's always somebody else to blame if you want to go that way. But as a leader of the call center, as a manager of the call center, you have to find another way for people to process this information so that they don't you know, play the game, blame game, and they are more thinking in terms of uh, the opportunities that are involved. 
Yeah, it's it's important that as leaders we paint that picture for our people so they do understand the you know why why are we making this change? What is mm-hmm. it? What does it mean for us? And what's the what's the end state? So mm-hmm. I can talk about examples that we've had. For us, you know, the most recent change project I was involved with was a major systems investment. We were replacing all of our back end systems, uh, kind of an ERP replacement. And what we had to educate our people about is we have to change. You know, the platform that we are on. Uh, was a good platform for us, but in order for us to continue to grow our business successfully, we need to upgrade our uh, back-end systems. And uh, we, we came up with an analogy that worked really well for our team, Bruce. We, we talked about building a new house for our company. In mm-hmm. order to build a new house, you know, we would say we loved our starter home. It was a great home for us, but we mm-hmm. were outgrowing that. And we need a new bigger home. And the new bigger home is going to have nice features in it, too. So, uh, and, and we talked about what are those, uh, those amenities that we're going to have in our new home. And, and we kind of joked about the pool and the hot tub and those kinds of things too. So <laughs> people could get excited about our new home, but we also told them there's going to be a lot of, a uh, lot of construction dust in the process. And we're going to mm-hmm. be living between the two homes for a while too. And that's not going to be easy. So that really kind of helped set up the story for us anyways. I love that. Oh, that's great. Uh, that's a, a great way of getting people to understand it, to sort of feel what it's going to be like and giving them an analogy that's very relatable. So uh, so that's great. You know, one other thing that I was thinking of when you mentioned mergers and acquisitions is that, um, you know, when mergers and acquisitions occur, people do due diligence, it's called, and uh, it's sort of a term of art, uh, legal term, that involves looking at the other companies. Um, financials, their legal situation, uh, environmental, if there is anything like that. But one of the things that has not made it into the uh, M&A culture yet is due diligence on the contact, the customer contact function of the target company. And for our listeners, one of the things that you might want to take away from this, if you're in an acquisitive company, is that you should talk to your managers about the fact that they should do due diligence on the customer contact function of the target companies so that uh, you can be prepared better to serve customers afterwards. Because just think about it. The most important thing you're acquiring when you acquire another company is their customers, right? <laughs> and Absolutely. If you're, right? And if, you, if that function is doing a poor job, you should know about it ahead of time. And if they're doing a great job, you should know about it ahead of time. If there's some uh, costs that can be uh, carved out by, you know, doing things uh, using best practices, you should know about that ahead of time. So that's one of the things that uh, I would encourage listeners who are in acquisitive companies to talk to their uh, managers about. And it's something that, you know, we can have helped out with. And I happen to have a background in, in mergers and acquisitions. So that sure. sort of thing can be uh, can really help out with the change management too, because you're prepared. You know ahead of time what you're getting into, instead of uh, discovering it all once the transaction takes place. Absolutely, Bruce. So that's a, that's an important thing that uh, companies oftentimes do overlook uh, in a merger and acquisition. But there's one, there's really one solid reason that companies do change management. And that's mm-hmm. what uh, that is. Certainly, they want to prepare people for change, but they're looking for the best return on their investment, whether it's a merger or whether it's a business integration or a business or process change, 
for a, a major systems investment, the company wants a return on that investment. And what we've found is that companies that do a good job of leading change with their people significantly outperform their peers in terms of their return on their investment. So it's important that you think about how am I going to prepare my people for the change so that we can have less disruption for the business and our people will be, you know, ready, as you say, to exit that valley of, of the tiers and, and get back to where they can perform and take care of our customers. I couldn't agree more. And, and, and when you think about it, the valley of tiers part is really uh, tends to be internally looking. But what you're saying as well is that you have to be looking at the financials and you have to be looking at how you're relating to the customers who are calling you. Uh, because if the uh, new thing happens, the system investment, the business integration, the merger, regulatory change, and they start calling in and they start getting bad customer service, then it's a disaster. And it's something that uh, really is not entirely, but to a large extent preventable if you do the kind of planning, Steve, that you're talking about and uh, sort of have that transparency and thought process and ask people's input and all that kind of good thing. Um, and at that point, you can, in fact, assure uh, a good return on investment for the, what your company is putting into whatever this new change is. So sure. very, very, very important. Um, well, let's dive okay. into the structure then, if we could, Bruce, on a, an effective change management effort. Yes, so, so for me, there are um, six key pillars that I focus on when I'm leading a change project. And I'll um, review those real quick, and then we'll, we'll do a deeper dive into each of the six. The first is leadership engagement, and then followed by uh, activating a change network, mm -hmm. certainly effective communication, training, organizational design, and evaluation. Those six elements make up an effective change management program. Mm -hmm. Okay, those sound good. So number one, leadership engagement. Number two, activating an effective change network. Three, communication. Four, training. Five, organizational design. And six, evaluation. Did I get all those right? You've got them, Bruce. So maybe we can dive okay. into each of those in a little bit more detail. Let's, so let's do start it. With le let's start with leadership engagement. It's, it's really important that you have your leadership team aligned on the change. And your leaders can help you uh, clearly articulate why are we changing. Because people at every level of the organization, including our frontline call center associates, they, they really they, they function a lot better when they understand the why. Le the leadership team can help articulate the why in a clear and, and uh, compelling way. You know, for us, uh, in, our, in our last systems investment, we talked about we needed, to, we needed to build a new house for our team because we were outgrowing our house. Our, and we loved our starter house. It served us well, but it's not going to serve us into the future as we continue to grow our business and get more and more clients. So mm -hmm. the, the leadership is important. So I, I also had, it a, I had a, uh, a presentation with the leadership team before our last uh, big project, and I, I talked to them at length about their involvement in leading this change. And what I said is, not only do I need you on the bus, I need you serving drinks on the bus. 
and try to make it. A, uh, try to paint a clear picture. It's not not just about you know, you know being on the bus, but I need them actively engaged in supporting their people on the bus. And uh, we had a little fun with that uh, that analogy of serving drinks on the bus. Now I'm I'm sure it was uh, soda and uh, milk and and the like, right? Um, yeah. On this uh, on this on this virtual bus that we're we're talking about. But having our leaders involved uh, throughout the process is really important. And the way you do that is you, you ask for their help in terms of the change uh, management leadership uh, of, the, um, of the change altogether. And you do that by uh, pointing out a clear picture of what your change model is. And the very next thing we're going to have to do is activate a change network. And so mm-hmm. the first role of the first way we engaged our leaders was we, we asked our leaders from throughout the organization to nominate or select people to serve on our change network. And mm-hmm. we asked for a wide variety of people uh, uh, with different backgrounds and experiences to be on our change network. We used a Winnie the Pooh analogy, believe it or not. We said, we're looking for Tiggers and Eeyores and everything in between. We're looking for people that have a lot of energy uh, and excitement. We're also, we're also kind of looking for some of the skeptics. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we need to be able to win those skeptics over. But we did, we did require people to be on our change network that had credibility with their peers. That mm-hmm. was the, one of the most important uh, attributes that we did look for on our change network because ultimately we know – that if we could win these people over, that they could help us win over the rest of the organization. Mm. And so so uh, that was really, a, a really an important thing for us. And as we talked about activating our change network, we decided to stick with our, with our new house uh, analogy because that was pretty easy for people to understand. And our, in our uh, change network, we called them our construction crew. They were the ones that were going to help us build this new home as well. Gosh, I, I think you're the analogy guru here. These are really, really good yeah. uh, analogies here. And a couple of things that come to mind as you're talking about the first two things, the leadership engagement and the activating an effective change network, is that uh, really for the people in the center, uh, managers at, at all levels to, in, in particular, uh, this is a professional development opportunity. And uh, the, if you can Absolutely. bring it across to them that way and give them the training that makes them uh, capable of confronting and uh, leveraging this professional development opportunity, then you've really got things uh, wired, I think. Because, you know, then you go from a, a valley of tears, jeers, and sneers and fears, right? Because there's always the fears in there <laughs> oh, to yeah. hopefully, hopefully having some gears turning and, and then, uh, you know, people cheering. Uh, but it takes effort, as you said. You know, you have to sort of put people in a position where they are trained up enough that they know how to to do these things. And also, you don't want to take somebody who has credibility now, right, and make them not credible because they haven't been properly trained for something which is brand new. And then they try to, you know, support the cause, but they don't quite know how to do it. And then they ruin their credibility, and it helps neither of you. It helps nobody, That's right? It. That's exactly right. right. So what we did with our construction crew, we yep. actually had, and it was like, you're, like you suggested, great uh, developmental opportunity. And I, we've seen several of our members of our construction crew be, being promoted after the project, which is great to see. But we mm-hmm. actually charged our construction crew 
with helping us define the changes uh, at a very detailed level that were going to be impacting their work groups. So we, we actually created something we called a CHIT log, uh, because CHIT happens, and that's C-H-I-T, just so that you know. Um, and <laughs> that, uh, so that uh, change impact tracker log was really, really effective for us, because we tracked what is going to change, what is our mm-hmm. current process, and what is it going to change to, who's going to be impacted by those changes, and then how do we prepare people for those changes? So that, mm-hmm. that uh, chit log for us really served as our, our, as our master document. And the great mm-hmm. thing about that was we had our construction crew folks building it for us. So these, mm-hmm. these are the, the frontline people who said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a new system. I'm going to have a new interface to deal with our customers. You know, what does that look like? And uh, we had to get those people ready for those changes. We had new mm-hmm. processes as well. We actually created some, um, we eliminated some roles, but we created some new, new roles. Uh, and, uh, you know, net, it was not about any type of reduction of force. In fact, um, we continued to grow our business. But, the, but our construction crew, they did a great job of documenting the changes at, at a very granular level that was understandable for the people who were going to be impacted by those changes. So having a very uh, active and engaged change network is really important for us. So after we documented all of our changes, that same crew, they were responsible for helping us develop the training and communication and other things that we needed to do to overcome uh, to help prepare the rest of our team for those changes. So it was uh, uh, very effective for us to, to have a very active and engaged change network. And they also need to be able to listen to those uh, folks on the change network. And we actually asked our leadership team, to meet periodically with the folks from their department in the change network. And uh, those sessions were really good because they got direct, had direct um, dialogue with the leadership team. So the leadership team could hear what are the concerns that people have. And it was, it was really great to, to see that type of uh, dialogue occurring because, you know, there oftentimes the rumor mill gets going and people start to, speculate about, oh, well, this could happen or that could happen. And, and having the change agents or our construction crew directly interfacing with our leaders uh, at a department level uh, to talk about the changes was really beautiful because it brought clarity to what was actually changing, and it also helped eliminate or, or squelch rumors that were not accurate. So uh, it was a very you know, our construction crew was highly engaged throughout the process, and we involved our leadership team in that as well. That's excellent. That's a, and, you know, one of the things that we uh, discovered when we did the uh, groundbreaking research on uh, agent voices, uh, it was over 5,000 agents who were surveyed for this study that we did, was that communication is actually one of the uh, sore spots in most uh, centers, even in the best of times. And so the um, things that you were just talking about, the mechanisms and the uh, initiatives to make sure there's good communication, make sure there's good training, are exactly the sorts of things that uh, are needed in order to make sure that people feel like they're being respected, communicated with, in a way that they understand. So that's great. And how about organizational design and evaluation? So from an organizational design uh, perspective, you have to understand that 
if you're going to make changes that impact people's jobs, you need to be able to clearly articulate what is changing in a person's job. And you, do you have to update job descriptions? Uh, is there yeah. a whole new role? Are there different skill sets required to, to perform these functions? So those are things that you have to be very conscious about as you're navigating through your change, and you need to make sure that your people are, all, again, ready for those changes. And when you're, and when you're doing org design change, you know, I can't. I got lots of visits from lots of folks in the lots of departments who were um, very anxious about, you know, what's going to change and what's this new department going to be and where's it going to tear up to and those kinds of things. You stay focused on, uh, on the bigger picture about what is changing and why things are changing, and the rest of those things kind of come into place. Right, right. And, and bringing into the picture, too, the things you communicate – uh, the design that you come up with, how is that going to be received by the people that uh, are actually going to be impacted by it? So, so important. And and this, the organizational design part, Steve, I think is often overlooked uh, in terms of its importance in smoothing change. You know, we, we really don't want a Rube Goldberg type of thing, you know, which is a chaos of uh, cause and effect, and we do not quite sure what the effects are going to be. So very, Absolutely. very important to... Go ahead. Yeah, that's what, Bruce, that's why it's so important to evaluate the effectiveness of your training and your communication and all. So we actually had our change network folks write the training, and they were involved in delivering the training. So we enrolled them as part of the communication as well, along with our leadership team, and that was effective for us. But we did some evaluation. We did uh, touch points with our team, uh, with our change network folks initially, our construction crew. Uh, to make sure that they were ready for the change. In fact, we, we surveyed our people, and uh, we asked them four key questions about their readiness for change. And when, uh, before our first migration on our new system, our, all of our members of our change network, they said they were ready for the change. And, mm-hmm. and, and by being ready for the change, that included what to do when things, when the unexpected happened, that I have a clear escalation path. So, uh, so our, our people know, knew what to do, and you know, not everything went perfect with our first migration, but there were, we, our people knew what to do, how to escalate issues and get them solved, and that was really important for us. And we were very successful then because we kept our fingers on the pulse of our people. And then as we went through subsequent migrations, our change uh, agents, our construction crew, helped us bring the rest of our uh, of our employees along on this journey. That uh, sounds great. Uh, really, really good uh, meaty information there. Well, let me ask you one other thing too, Steve, is what sort of uh, sort of metrics-based structure or form format uh, has helped you to actually go through some of these change processes? Well, you know, I, I'll tell you that the, the whole art and science of change management, uh, it's uh, – provides a lot of ideas around evaluating your performance. Another way um, to look at evaluating your performance, though, is to think about benchmarking. And that's where Benchmark Portal really comes in. I, I, I know we've had a partnership with you guys for um, going on uh, eight or nine years now. And you can come in and provide a third-party objective view about how you're performing today and about opportunities for improvement and ideas around best practices that is really valuable. So I would I'll give you a shameless plug for the um, benchmark portal team and the work that you guys do around benchmarking because it is really it's it's really outstanding and I and uh, we've had a great partnership, uh, Bruce, with your team 
uh, doing benchmarking and helping us improve how we operate our business too. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for that. And uh, we have seen that uh, people can really benefit from before and after benchmarking in terms of uh, both seeing where they were and where they went to and how they can actually uh, monetize that for purposes of presentation to senior managers and uh, increase their own credibility as well as their managerial, uh, you know, performance. And so it's just sure. really important to, to keep the, those things in mind. So, so thank you for that. Okay, well, I think we've got time for one or two questions here, uh, and I'll hand it over to Alan to, to ask them. Yes, we've got a couple of questions here, and the first one is from Joe. Joe says, I manage a multi-generational call center, which is a challenge given the different viewpoints. We have some big changes coming in 2018. What should I think about in terms of communicating with these different groups? So great question, uh, and I'll try to provide an answer for Joe. Uh, when you're thinking about communicating uh, to the different audiences, certainly you've got to understand um, different people receive messages in different ways, millennials uh, versus Gen Xers and Gen Y and all. So what I would say, though, is all of those folks appreciate knowing the why. So let's never forget that our people deserve to understand why are we making this change. So let's be real clear on that. And then Let's, let's talk about what are the benefits of the changes that are going to happen, but don't undersell the fact that it's going to be hard work to get from where we are today to go through the change before we get to the benefits. Oftentimes, uh, leaders will just talk about the bright, rosy future uh, without mentioning the fact that uh, we've got to live, you know, for example, in a major systems implementation, you've got to live uh, for a time being operating in two different systems. And that's not easy for people. So uh, being upfront and acknowledging that, having that transparency and tying it to the why uh, really helps, I think, articulate to your people and prepare them for the change. Yeah, I would uh, absolutely agree with that. And I'd add that uh, one of the things that managers can do is to look at the communications, because some of those communications are going to be in writing. Others are going to be verbal. Uh, and in many cases, you're taking uh, information that either comes from on high, uh, it might be from a, a meeting that you've had with the managers, and you have to then formulate how you're going to take that message and communicate it to your people. And my recommendation is that you actually read whatever you come up with uh, three or four times from the different perspectives of the people in your call center. Uh, you know, if you have uh, still have some, um, you know, silent generation, uh, older boomers, et cetera, one of the things that they really value is being valued for their knowledge, right? And so you Absolutely. make sure that there's something, there's a hook in there that, that shows that they're being valued. Uh, in terms of the millennials and the need to explain the why, make sure that there's hooks in there that uh, talk about that. So uh, sort of re script or, you know, refine the message by looking through the eyes of the different uh, uh, age groups, and you'll come up with something that's really good and that uh, is accepted, hopefully, by all. So that, That's but, a great, a great advice, Bruce. I would also add that uh, vary the medium that you're using and communicating. So sending out emails uh, can, can work for short uh, communications and all. Uh, having meetings uh, can be effective. 
but you could do posters and billboards and message boards and uh, other kinds of things too. So you think about how do you vary that uh, barrier communication methodology. Excellent. Yeah, very good. Okay, I think we've got time for one more, uh, Alan. Do, one, do we have another question? Yes, we've got a couple more. Uh, we got one from Maria. She says, do you see a place for gamification in change, manage, change management? Oh, Maria, you're smart. Yes, uh, I, ch- absolutely. Uh, we use some gamification, and uh, people really like the gamification. I think the, the trick is don't make it too cute. Uh, but for us, we used a series of uh, games. We called it the um, – it was our, you know, new house challenge. And we got, we got simple gifts. We actually went to the Home Depot and, and picked up things that were part of the construction theme as our gifts and uh, provided those to people. And we just had uh, simple quizzes that were department-specific some, and some were uh, broad across the whole company. And then we had challenges between the departments on who could who could get all of their people through uh, through those challenges the quickest, and then uh, you know what what was the you know, like the highest participation rate that we had from for our different teams. So our people really kind of gravitated towards the those uh, types of games uh, as long as you kept it fun and um, and had fun with uh, not only the game itself but the delivery of uh, different different prizes we've would really varied those as well so like any for example in addition to some fun things that we picked up at home depot we also provided things you know parking at our at our facility sometimes is a premium and uh, we worked with our building services team to get a few parking spaces that we could give away as prizes uh, people love that uh, so keep it simple and, and have fun with it uh, and be in touch with what's important for your people to really know to be able to excel in this new change. Yeah, this is sort of a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And then if you do it right, actually the medicine can turn into something they like. So Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it, that's really uh, the trick. Okay, uh, Alan, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately we're going to have to cut it short, but let's do one more question if we can. All right, we got one from Mary, and she says, how do you know when you've gotten your people ready for change? That's a Mary's great question. So it's important you keep your pulse on the fingers of the people. And uh, we did that by doing actual surveys. Uh, and you can, nowadays you can build a survey and put it on a website and have your people fill it out pretty quickly and get quick results and feedback. Keep them simple, keep them short, make sure that you're asking the right kinds of questions and then understanding uh, the feedback. But don't rely on just a survey. So we did focus groups as well to, to actually dig a little bit deeper with our people and understand uh, where they were on that change uh, readiness commitment curve. And uh, for us, you know, asking them, are you ready for the change? And do you know what to do? Uh, Do you know about the new processes? Do you understand the why behind them? And do you know what to do when things don't work right? And because things aren't going to be perfect all the time. And when you have a problem, they are, people have to be equipped to understand what is the escalation path. And uh, so I I think the short answer, Mary, is you've got to follow up and make sure that uh, you know, because you know your people are ready because they've told you they're ready. Okay, that's great. 
Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there, Steve. I wish we had another half hour or hour to talk with you, but this has been great. Uh, once again, you've brought us so much insight and uh, expertise. I mean, you're the master of analogy. You've got uh, you know font of expertise here. So we really appreciate your spending this time with us on Call Talk. Bruce, it's always a pleasure to, to talk with you and your uh, Benchmark Portal team. So thanks for having me on. Okay. I'm, I know that our listeners got a lot out of this. And with that, I will turn things over to Alan to wrap things up. Thanks again, Steve. Thank you. Thanks again, Steve and Bruce, for your insightful discussions on today's show. Be sure to join us next month for another great show or look at our huge selection of archive shows and topics at BenchmarkPortal.com. Then click on Call Talk where you'll see over seven seasons of this show. From all of us here at Benchmark Portal, keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. This is Alan Pockotter signing out. Have a great day.